0: You are now listening to Bodies by Design Radio with Trainer Fred and Coach Donovan, where we talk about all things fitness, nutrition, and the mindset of how it all applies to your busy life. For more, head over to BBDforlife.com. All right, all right. Here we are, podcast number two. I'm Coach Donovan. This is Trainer Fred. And uh, how you feeling today, man?
1: I'm feeling pretty good. A little uh, excited to share my story and uh, yeah, kind of give uh, a background on um, where I came from and where Bodies by Design started. And I'm I'm excited about that.
0: Yeah, man. So you and I talked in the very beginning. We knew we were starting this podcast, and one of the things we felt was important were for everyone who's been connected with us this long to know the details behind you know uh what we're doing here at body by design and how it became right. so today i'm going i get to interview you and you get to share your story and this will help people feel more connected with what we're doing so sure you ready for that i'm i'm definitely ready for it and and uh pretty excited about it cool man well let's uh let's jump right in because um, You know, you've been right here. We grew up in Pflugerville together, um, and you started Bodies by Design. But when people see the finished product, what they don't know is there's a long history behind this. So let's take it all the way back. So let's talk about your childhood, where you grew up, and uh, what kind of things you loved when you you were a kid. Well, um,
1: half of my life, more than half of my life, has been spent in the U.S., but my life actually began in the Middle East. And uh, I was born in Tehran, capital of Iran to um, an amazing father and an amazing mother, I have two brothers that um, one older, one younger, uh, Ben and BJ. And uh, we have a pretty amazing and loving family. And um, a lot of people don't know the beginning part of my life, because They only know me as the Fred that's been in the US. So, this is kind of taking it back, all the way back to 1979. So, like I said, I was born in Iran and um, I had an amazing childhood. Um, It was filled with love, filled with family, filled with food. And, uh, you know, Iran is an amazing country despite all the political stuff that we hear on a daily basis. And uh, it's filled with uh, amazing people. It's filled with, Uh, history that has um, resonated all the way to today so it's been um, it's been a beautiful thing to be able to see both sides of the world and um, and the kind of the you know I got here when I was 11 years old and I didn't speak any English when I got here as well uh, as well and a lot of people don't know that they just they see me I don't look like a typical Middle Eastern I don't have dark skin so they, they mistake me sometimes as like South American or European or Italian or something like that. So, Sure. But yeah, so 1991 is when we basically came to the U.S., but uh, there's a lot of back-end stories behind on how all that came about as well and why we came here.
0: Sure. All right. So um, yeah, I know there's little parts of that you, you, um, you'd like to share. So you came here to the U.S. You said you were 11? 11, yeah, 11. So um,
1: what brought you here? Well, I mean, this goes back all the way to the early 1970s. My uh, my dad went to University of Texas and um, he had already met my mom back in Iran. Uh, they weren't married at the time. But, um, you know, he came from a very small village in a city of Shiraz and he had uh, 10 brothers and sisters. And he, so he had a very big family. They weren't like the wealthiest family in the world, but my dad knew he wanted to, um, he wanted to do something more. He wanted to get out of there. He wanted to educate. He wanted to become educated. And um, he really did the unpopular. He did things that other people didn't think about. So he pushed himself, and uh, he came to the U.S., went to a junior college for two years. And the cool story about my dad is that he didn't know any English either. So he came with no English and left in 1974 with an electrical engineering degree from UT.
0: Mm, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. And my mom was, was with him in the U.S. off and on because the relations between Iran and U.S. was, was good at that time. And um, it was actually really good at the time to where you could travel just back and forth and uh, there was no issues whatsoever. Uh, but in, the 19, uh, in 1979, a revolution happened in, in my country. And uh, it was a revolution where the, the Shah of Iran got overthrown, and it was overthrown by the Ayatollah Khomeini. <clears throat> and he, you know, he was a very hardcore uh, Muslim, and he brought back that, uh, that hardline Muslim, that hardline uh, religious thinking and uh, ways back to Iran. So Iran kind of changed from being almost like being like a European country to being a very hardcore Islamic country at the time. And the relations between US and and Iran severed. And at that time, we were living in Iran and um, the neighboring country, Iraq, if anyone knows the story, um, saw weakness in the government. So they basically attacked our country. Mm. So me, my family and my friends and extended family, we were basically caught in an eight year war between Iran and Iraq from 1980, all the way to 1988. Wow. So I was a revolution baby and I was a war baby. And um, but during this whole time, I I can tell you that my mom and dad and my whole family did such an amazing job of keeping us safe, making sure we had everything. Uh, we lived a very good life. You know, my, my mom and dad were upper middle class. My mom was a head nurse at the hospital um, that she was working at. And my dad, again, he was an engineer working for a, uh, working for a, a, a company in, um, in Iran. And we had a good life. Sure. You know, we were never deprived of anything. But it, there was no joke of what was going on around us. Right. And that's, a lot, that, that, that's something that a lot of people don't know about what I went through. And uh, when people say we're in a war, we were literally inside of the war. Like we could hear machine guns around the mountains where we were, basically going off at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, trying to basically fend off the Iraqi, um, Iraqi jet, uh, Iraqi jets that were trying to drop bombs. And they were actually successful. Um, I remember I was sitting with my mom, and we were having a conversation, and. I just heard this massive explosion and we were on 7th Street and 13th Street got bombed. And the kids that we were played soccer with the day before they were all dead, their whole families. Like their their brothers, their sisters, mm. everybody. They were just completely wiped out. So I got to see all of that firsthand. I got mm. to see what real war looks like. I got to see what uh destruction looks like i got to see what heartbreak looks like because i actually lost family members in that war myself Mm. so we lost several cousins that were that went to battle with iraq to defend the country at that time so it was a mess it was really a mess at that time and i think you know my parents had the had the foresight to be able to say you know what this is not what we want to live in this is not what we want to continue to live in and uh, they were willing to give up everything that they had worked for, their retirement, all the years that they had put in to start all over again. And, um, you know, the, the good thing about my older brother is that he was born in Chicago. So right. he was already an American citizen. Okay. But the rest of us, we had to try to find a way to get out. And, um, and my dad is by the books type of guy. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to do anything. He wasn't going to do anything um, illegal or anything like he did everything by the books. You know, he he made sure all the paperwork, everything was all always done the right way because this was our life and uh, we wanted to make a new start. And the opportunity came to where my brother could come here first and then for our family to come after that. And uh, that was a pretty, pretty massive transition for myself and my family.
0: Okay. And I know, you know, I've heard the story. I saw, I know there's a lot of details about, you know, the timing it takes to make, you know, that transition from one side of the country to the other. Uh, what can you share about that? Like, uh, did, were all y'all, do y'all all come at one time or how, how did that work? So my, it,
1: at that time, if you were older than like 15 years old in Iran, you couldn't, you couldn't leave the country, no matter what. You couldn't leave to go to another country because you basically were... You had to do military you either paid to get out of military or you had to go into the military but since my older brother was already born in chicago and was a u.s citizen my my mom and dad decided to bring him first and the the story with that is is when my dad was at ut uh studying he met a family here in austin Mm -hmm. the edwards family and they were basically a host to foreigners that came from different countries and they showed them the cities they showed them the town they basically got them uh, acclimated to the culture and they became really good friends and they stayed friends all the way from the 1970s all the way in, in, until today i mean they're still great, good friends but um my mom and dad had to take a chance so they basically asked the edwards family if they would host my brother for um i, th- I think it was three years I don't know. and my dad literally just brought him here and his living conditions were that he was gonna live with the Edwards family until my dad could come back and we could get all of our paperwork and all this stuff done. And then so we could come back and basically rejoin him. Mm. So it was a pretty, it, it, it was, it, I, I, can't, I can only imagine how difficult it must've been for my brother mm. to you know be only 11 or 12 years old. And now he has to live with an American family and he doesn't know much English. My dad gets on a plane and comes back home Right. And now he's basically left there, but there was no choice. And I can only imagine what my parents felt. Right. You know, what my mom felt and what my dad felt. You know, it's like having their heart ripped out to where it's like your firstborn son or your firstborn child at that. You know, it's like you're having to have faith and basically take him across the world and leave him there because you're taking a chance on saying you will have a better life here, you would have better options here. Mm. And um, so it took about three years before we could basically gather everything up and do the things that we needed to do necessary and uh, to go to make that transition. And then it was my turn, my little brother's turn, and my mom is when we basically uh, got together and, you know, we had a little family meeting and it was time for us to go.
0: Sure. So y'all eventually ended up here through this long process Mm -hmm. and then, you know, you get kind of injected into this school system, which I'm sure is very different than the school system back home. But so you're here, you know, you don't know English, you're, you have to go to this new school. Talk about that.
1: Yeah. Well, when we first got here, it was a, for me, it wasn't probably as difficult as it was for my older brother, because I was still with my mom. And now I was with him. And I was with my little brother. So I always had family around me. And You know, that was that's always been a really big thing for me is to have family around me. And um, and to this day, you know, we're still very close. But when we first got here, it was definitely a culture shock for me because I wasn't used to being around so many different ethnicities. I wasn't I wasn't uh, used to seeing so many different cultures in one place. Right. But there's just that there's the thing about kids that can that we can just adapt
2: mm-hmm. it's just
1: because there's just no other option you know it's like we don't have any anything else to do other than other than adapt um so i remember when we first got here it was around i think it was in july so it was basically time to get to go, we had to go to school and i was pretty nervous about that because again i i didn't know any english when i was going into the seventh grade mm-hmm. In South Austin, when South Austin wasn't the most popular. Right. uh, That was a pretty rough, pretty rough area. And uh, I went to middle school there. And I remember my first day, I got dropped off at the bus stop. And I was just standing there. Nobody was talking to me, which I was perfectly fine with, because I couldn't communicate anyways. But I remember getting on the bus. And to this day, I still remember what I was wearing, you know, how I was feeling. And there was... um, There was no seats available. So I was just kind of standing in the middle there and I just mumbled something to some kid. And I don't even know if I said anything, but he just scooted over. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. I was like, I don't know how that happened, but the kid scooted over so I was Mm. able to sit down. So I just kind of kept to myself, but the secret got out quick. You know, the secret got out. The kid that looks a little different, you know, his clothes are a little different. He's acting a little different. Mm. And now the kids wanted to talk to you and you don't know how to respond. and So, you know, so it's
0: like the, the foreigner has landed.
1: The foreigner has landed, mm. right? And it was the same way probably for my older brother. And it was the same way for my little brother, you know? because, And we all have a different way of like taking it in and registering it and dealing with it, right? So the way that basically I went about it is I knew I was going to get bullied. And I did get bullied and it was pretty hardcore too. But I always reverted back to sports. So I found you know, kids that were playing basketball or they were playing, you know, playing soccer or playing something, and I would try to join in because you don't need a language to play a sport. You know The ball is the language. And I remember one kid kind of gravitated towards me, and this is uh, my first friend I ever had in, in the US, and his name is Nick. So shout out to Nick if he's listening to this. Um, I'm really grateful for his friendship because he basically took me in into his little group of friends that, mm. that they had. And and we ran together and and we played sports together. We hung out at each other's families and I was quickly picking up the language. I picked it up really fast, but I still had an accent. I would still make mistakes. They would still laugh at me. But the cool part about it is, is like since I was part of this little clique, nobody else was going to mess with me. It was just kind of internal kind of joking but I was one of the boys right yeah. so that I'm I'm really grateful for that relationship because it was it was pretty awesome it was it was it was good to have running mates and you know I I truly understood the value of friendship and having people around you that care about you right and and, and it was good and it wasn't always good we got into a lot of trouble we did a lot of different stuff but it's like overall we were all pretty good kids right but sports was the connecting thing, and I remember, um, I remember, I remember seeing football for the first time, and I, and I remember I asked my brother, I'm like, what is this game? You know, like what what what's going on with this game here? And and he said, yeah, he said they they throw the ball and they catch the ball and they got to score a touchdown and this. But I was like, why is it called football? They're throwing the ball hand to hand. Like, wh- where's the foot? Where's like I thought we played football because my sport in Iran was. Football and, and, and wrestling. Those were the two things that basically I was really good at. But a different kind of football. But it, was, but it was soccer. It was soccer. And then they were calling it soccer. And I didn't understand where that even word came from because the whole world calls that game football. And then I came here and they're calling American football football and they're calling world football soccer. I was confused as hell. Like I didn't know what the hell was going on. But I really liked the game. Mm-hmm. I, I, I liked the phys- physicality of it and I got to watch, you know, some games. I got to see some of the, you know, the 90s Cowboys and Oilers and I started to kind of fall the in love with that teams. Yeah, the teams that actually had some good players that uh the poor Cowboy fans still rave about, well, you know, we'll be all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I wanted to kind of try out this game and I went and joined a seventh grade football team. I had no idea what the hell was going on, what mm. a shoulder pad was, what any helmet was, any of that. I just knew I was just copying what other kids were doing. And I went out there, and I remember during the first practice, they are like, all right, you know, we're looking for defensive players. And I was like, I'll play quarterback. Like, that's, that's how little I knew about yeah, the game. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: but through it all, I played all the sports. I played tennis. I played basketball. I played football. And I just got basically involved in sport. And that's how it kind of integrated me into the culture and understanding like what's going on and, and having friends. Mm. But it was still very difficult because at the seventh grade level, I, I couldn't read, I couldn't write, and I couldn't speak. So it's like I was starting my evolution at seven years old.
0: Mm. Man, okay. So that's a powerful transition. So um, luckily you you... You came into that group of friends. You found this game. Now you you can continue to evolve. Um, I think your family ends up moving to a different place. You end up going to a different school at some point. So talk to more you know more about the transition that comes up.
1: Well, when we first landed in in Austin, of course we didn't have a place to live. I was reunited with my older brother, which was, which was the, still to this day one of the greatest highlights and greatest days of my life because Mm -hmm. we were always close and being separated for three years. Really, really put a dagger in in all of us. But finally, we were we were together. My dad hadn't returned yet because he was retiring from the company that he was working with, so he was basically coming two three years after that. So now we're having to live without my dad. So my mom is having to take care of a seven year old and an eleven year old and a fourteen year old, Mm. and um, it really was her drive and her ambition and her. No nonsense, hard work, big heart that got us through and allowed us to basically stay here because you had a certain amount of time you could stay until you basically got a visa and then you had to get a work visa and then you get your green card and then you get your uh, citizenship. So in order for us to stay and the time was basically, the time was ticking, my mom had to pass her RN test. And she was already a nurse in Iran for more than 20-something years. But that's not her first language. English is not her first language. And she didn't go to nursing school here in the U.S. So even though nursing is pretty universal everywhere, the way you take care of people, but there's different ways that countries operate. So what's, what's so amazing to me is that my mom literally just had this like encyclopedia this is it was like this massive nursing book that she would read when we were in iran like page by page i think this thing had like a thousand pages in it and that's the only thing that she studied she literally took her practical experience and studied the book that she had in iran she came to the u.s eventually passed her rn test and was able to get her work visa and that's what really propelled us to get out of um The home that we were living in with the Edwards family, which was a small home, and they were so, so amazingly gracious to let us stay with them. And I don't know many people that would do that. You know, they had a 1,500 square feet uh, uh, home, and there was seven, eight of us living in there at one time. Mm. And they had converted their living room into our bedroom, and we had bunk beds, and my mom was was sleeping on an air mattress. And you got to think, like, how much of their pride my mom and dad had, they had to swallow to be able to make that kind of transition. Because you're going from an upper middle class, having great income, having vacation homes, having you know everything at your disposal, to sleeping on the ground on an air mattress at somebody else's house mm. and yeah. starting all over again. Yeah. And they were both very close to retirement in Iran. So they basically chose to give up their comfort And give up their life that they had known for 40, 50 years to give us an opportunity to just have a chance. Right. And that's a big word. And we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. Right. To just have a chance because to give us an opportunity to have a better life. Right. Because they just knew the way that it was going over there, the chances were we weren't going to have as many opportunities as we have over here. So, kind of going back around to, you know, My mom passing this RN test, she was able to secure a a good income and we were finally able to move into an apartment complex. And from the apartment complex, I think a year or two years later, we moved to North Austin, which she was able to finally buy a house and our lives completely changed. And Mm -hmm. when we moved up to North Austin, I think that's when my life
0: really caught on fire. So, what was, uh, different about that moment like what's you know because i can feel the different like your energy like you feel like life started for you again right there What, why
1: well it, it was almost like deja vu i was getting used to a certain area i had a group of friends i was already accepted i was like kind of integrated in that in that south austin culture and then boom we're ripped again from that to come to north austin right and i was upset i told my mom i was like look I'm not moving up there. You're going to have to drive me back and forth to Travis High School because I don't want to leave my friends. Right. Because it was so difficult because I was the different kid. You know, I was, the, I was the weird kid. I was the different kid. I was the kid from the country that nobody really kn- knew much about. You know, when I first moved here, people are like, you're from where? You're from... And at that time, people knew Saddam Hussein, right? That, that, there's no relations between Saddam Hussein and Iran other than the fact that he was the neighboring country that had attacked our country, Right. And some of these people, I mean, again, it was just lack of education. It was just ignorance. It was, um, it, it was just mind-baffling to me that people were like, you know, okay, do you, do you ride camels? Do you, do you live in the mm. desert? You know, do you know Saddam Hussein? And I'm thinking, like, what? Are they, are they joking? Are they serious? Like, like, I had a life that was a 100 times better than what it is right now at this moment. You know, I had the, one of the first Nintendos that my dad brought me from Germany in Iran. So we were playing Mario Brothers before Mario Brothers landed in the U.S. So, you know, it was really difficult for me to understand, like, the, the disconnect between, yeah. like, how do they not know where that side of the world is? And here's the funny story, too, is when I first got there on my first day, they uh, they... You know, they have categories like, are you African-American? Are you white? Are you Hispanic? Are you Asian? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not any of like, I'm what am I? And I looked at Asia, right? So I just, I marked down Asian because Iran is in Asia. And the lady looked at it and she's like, no, 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 no. You're not Asian. And I'm like, no, 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 I am. I was like, I'm from Iran. She's like, I know you're from Iran, but you're, you're not Asian. And I'm like, what does that mean? I'm so confused. Like, like, how is that not in Asia? So I had this argument with as much English as I possibly knew, and I just left it at Asian. Right. And I was like, cause I was like, that's where it is. I'm Asian. But come to find out that's not, <laughs> the categories here are a little bit different. Right. <laughs> so when we moved to North Austin, I basically had to go to Flugerville High School. And it was a funny name. It started with a P. And I told my mom, I'm like, this, this school doesn't even sound right. I'm like, you're going to have to take me back to Travis High School. She's like, I am not taking you up and down Travis High School. Mm. So, and I remember she was getting directions on the phone and the lady's like, okay, you know, you take the exit, you're going to pass the cemetery on the right. And I was like, oh my God, the school is next to a cemetery. And it wasn't, you know, I was just making up stuff like, because I didn't want to, ch- I didn't want to change again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you were finding reasons like, why can't we stay the same? Right. I, I Because.
1: A, a, a big massive change had already happened moving from my country right. everything that i've ever known all my family members all my friends to move to the u.s you recreate yourself and then now you're moving again and i was just like i, I was like i don't want to do this so i really fought it for a long time and uh i remember getting to flickerville high school and i knew things were going to be different right away i walked in the school was clean there was no graffiti there was no gang banging. Um, there was, it, there was just like, people were like saying hello and they were being polite. And, you know, I was like, people were leaving their lock lockers unlocked, which you never did that. You, you come back, you come back where I was in South Austin, your, your locker will be empty. They'll take your last pin if you had, it. but it was just a different culture. Right. Mm. So I was really surprised, you know, this is, it was very, it was very different for me. Yeah. But what I quickly realized is that none of these kids, or none of these teachers, or none of the people in the school knew me. They didn't know my background, so I was like, "This is a perfect opportunity to hit the restart button and not be the different kid." Because at that time, I was losing my accent. Um, you know, my body was starting to kind of fill in a little bit. Uh, I was starting to get into the weight room. I started getting to like. I started, like, I started seeing changes, mm-hmm. right, and perfect. All of a sudden, nobody thinks I'm different. Everybody's just, here's another new kid in the school. Right. And, um, and I remember almost like saying to myself, I'm like, it's, it's okay that nobody knows where I'm from or because I was just tired of explaining it to people. Yeah, I was just tired of it. I was just tired of the ignorance. I was tired of the stupid questions. I was tired of people not knowing. Then immediately, as soon as you say something, they put you in another category. So I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to roll with. You know, just being the new kid, right? And uh, my last name is Sasani, so it sounds Italian. Mm-hmm. So I just went with it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. We'll just go with that. My nickname in high school was the Italian Stallion. Is that that's hilarious? And I just went with it. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Because I said to myself, I'm like, look, I'm not gonna re-explain all of this. I'm not gonna rehash all of this, right? I, and it wasn't like I was like living under a secret identity. It just, I just didn't want to deal with the explanation. Yeah. You know, I didn't have an accent anymore. So I was like,
0: it, 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 Italian stallion. Italian stallion it, it, it is. is. Let's roll
1: with it. And there that literally go. was my name on my locker. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that was my name on my locker. And uh, that's when, you know, things change. Education changed for me. Sports changed for me. And uh, I got a restart. And that's kind of like where you and I crossed paths
0: for the first time is where I met you at Plymouth High School in the football locker room. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. And that that was a a defining time for both of us. But for you, especially, I just can't imagine coming from the other side of the the world and being in a position to have to learn English, move a couple of times after living with a host family and then uh, ending up in a new school again. But this is where you really caught on fire. Right. Mm -hmm. Your body started filling in. You got into sports, uh, made some new friends. And then life carries on. So, talk to us about that, those years through high school and then going into college.
1: Well, I made some, you know, including yourself, you know, we, made, we, had, we had a lot of good friends in high school, you know, and I had two running mates, Jamie and Jason, that I ran with all the time. We lived in the same neighborhood. And, um, you know, we all played, we all kind of, we all played football together. And, and I remember learning football my freshman year in high school. I was at Travis high school. I still was learning. I, I didn't know. I didn't know the game that much. Right. So I wasn't I wasn't the most like skillful. Right. I was athletic from the time that I had done wrestling and soccer, but I wasn't like your best football player in the world. So and then my junior year or my sophomore year, I got a. I got an opportunity to be a quarterback. And. And apparently I was a running quarterback. I don't know if you remember that. We, yeah, we ran yeah, the ru- Definitely. We ran the run and shoot offense and the only thing I did was run the ball. I would step back 3 steps and and take off.
0: No shooting, just no, running. There was no shooting, <laughs> it was just running.
1: So, and I remember the coaches would get so upset every single time. They're like, "It's a pass play." I'm like, "Look, I saw an open I saw an open gap. I was I was going through that." So, I got to play quarterback my sophomore year and um, and, and, and I did well, like on the JV team, I was still developing. And um, our ju- junior year came around, I didn't get to play that much. Uh, there was a lot of talent on our football mm-hmm. team, a lot of talent. And I remember my senior year going into the, the off season, there was an open spot at the Rover position, which was kind of like your strong safety, weak linebacker kind of type of spot on our defense. And I remember going up to the coach at that time, his name was Coach Roche. And I went up to him and I said, listen, that spot is open and I want that spot. I think I said, I'm going to take that spot. And he's like, well, you know, you're going to have to work hard and there's going to be other people. I said, coach, that's my spot. Period. And he said, okay, prove it. And that, that was it. You didn't have to tell me that. You didn't have to tell me anything else. So I started getting into the weight room, started really getting serious about, you know, nutrition, started really serious about like, you know, learning the game, understanding the game. And then I had an opportunity to actually start. I started on the defense. We had an amazing senior season, uh, season, and it was a pretty, um, it was a pretty wild season too, because I did really well on defense. I was second team all district. I was I was a good player. I wouldn't you know call myself like the best player that was out there, but I was a good player on the defense. But the crazy thing is, our quarterback broke his neck the tenth game of the season Mm. in regular season, and for the first time, Flugerville High School. Under Mike Honeycutt, which to this day is the best coach that I'd ever played for, was going to the playoffs from an absence of 55 years of like not going. No, I'm sorry, not 55 years. It was, I, I don't know the exact year, but it was so long. It was, it was, it was so long that Flugerville had not gone to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They did not have a legitimate team for years. I think it was 10, 15 years. I, I don't remember. It was 55 years since they won the state championship. Right. That's what it was. But it was, it was so long. Nobody, I mean, it was just, it was the first time we were going into it. And here we're going in, we don't have a quarterback. And I remember I get a call from Mike Honeycutt that Sunday night after the, after the game that our quarterback broke his neck. And he said, Sasani, you're playing quarterback against Waco High in, in our first playoff game. And here I am, I've played defense all year long. I haven't touched a ball. I haven't thrown a ball. I haven't ran a play. But since the year before I was the backup quarterback, now I was thrusted into being the quarterback into the playoffs. So this is kind of like, almost like the parody of my life. It's like, as soon as I get comfortable in a situation, something arises that forces me to change and forces me to do something that I'm not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that pattern just keeps continuing throughout my whole life, which I'm very grateful for. And we'll talk about a lot of those when, you know as, as we go forward with it. But that change was a, was a major change and we did it unfortunately we didn't win the game but you know we played a very hard game against a very good team and um but it was it was a it was a good thing that happened that had me playing quarterback on film because it paid dividends
0: when the season was over Mm. well that's a good uh good transition there so you ended up You know, there's a story of how you got into college, so you can talk about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then you ended up playing football in college, um, and uh, let's just start there, because this is, is where it gets, you know, pretty powerful going into your adult years. Yeah,
1: I remember after the Waco game, after the loss of the Waco game, I immediately was thinking about the next step. I was kind of, I was sad that we lost. I was sad that the season was over and I knew the, the, I knew that I wasn't going to see a lot of these kids again. And I knew we were never going to play on a team again. And I knew that the level of closeness that I had on this team on what we had built is, it was immediately over, but I had to do something. So the first thing I did, I went to the financial counselor and I said, Hey, how are my grades? What do my grades look like? And uh, where can I go? She looked at my grades and she said, look, they're not the greatest, but they're not the worst, right? You're not going to get into UT. You're not going to get into someone like these big schools because their requirements are much higher. She said, why don't you look into getting, going to a junior college so you can build up your grades and you can go to a bigger college? I didn't know what a junior college was. But what I did know is that I wanted to play football in college. Mm-hmm. And I asked a couple of my coaches, some of them were very supportive and some of them kind of laughed about it, which on a side note, I kind of want to say is like, I was bullied so much when I got here. That not like I was never sad about being bullied. I always just used it as fuel. Like if someone made fun of me because I wasn't fast enough, I'd just get faster. If someone was making fun of me that I couldn't speak like properly, I would just work harder on my English. Like, it was never a fact of, like, I would go home and cry and say, oh, these kids are making fun of me. I would just use it as fuel. Like, I, I never got bothered by it, mm-hmm. right? So when these coaches kind of laughed about it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't what, they were, what their words weren't going to decide what I was going to do with my future, right? What I'm teaching my daughter right now is to say one thing every time someone says anything mean to her is, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's one of the biggest phrases in our house. And I've used that since I was 11 years old. So when he said, when one of the coaches said, you know, I don't think you're big enough or fast enough to go play in college. I just thought to myself, I'm sorry you feel that way. Because that's not the way I feel. Because, you know, you can't just measure somebody up by the way they look. You can't measure somebody up by the way they're standing at that time. like. You, you can't look inside of the chest of anybody and see how big their heart is and how hard they're willing to work. Most of these people at River High School never knew what I had gone through to be at that point anyways. I'm thinking to myself, I've gone through some real big stuff and you telling me that you don't think I can play college football, it, 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 that was just like, it, it, was, it was so small to me. It was so minor. I, just, I was like, yeah, whatever. Moving on to the next one so one of the coaches uh, was nice enough to make a highlight tape for me and uh you know my buddy jamie he wanted to play football too and jason wanted to play football too and i said look we have to pave our own way nobody's nobody's calling anybody for us nobody even knows where pflugerville is i said let's just go i said this lady said junior colleges so we literally went to the library and looked up junior colleges and went down the list it was like cisco Blynn, kilgore um, uh, Navarro. And I don't know why out of all of them, we picked Navarro first. So we got in Jason's Mustang, broke, broke down on the way to to Navarro. <laughs> we were stuck on the road and um and some mechanic out of nowhere showed up and helped us out. And this is before like Google and cell phones and all that. We were literally just stuck on the side of the road. Mm. And uh we finally made it our way there. And I remember we had our tapes in hand. We showed up to the field house and there was this you know, there was, there was not that many people on campus. So I, I found one person walking by and I said, Hey, man, you know, where's the football field house? Where's the coaches? And he's like, Man, this is summertime. You know, it's like you're going to be lucky if you find any of them. I said, Just show me where it is. Right. I'm, I wasn't taking no for an answer. We didn't drive two hours for nothing. So I went into the field house and I saw this massive of a man coming towards us. It was Coach Nichols. The dude was like, if there was a real life human wolf, That would be him. Like if a human turned into a wolf, that would be, like he was just big and hairy and mean looking and just, he looked just like a football football coach. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he just kind of looked at us and he's like, what the hell do y'all want? Not no hello, no like, hey, I'm, It's like, what the hell do y'all want? And we were like, oh, we're looking for a football coach to like drop off our tapes. And this is like two months before like the semester starts. And he goes, I'm Coach Nichols. I'm the defensive coordinator. He said, give me this. He said, I'll look at it. Where are you guys from? And I think Jason or Jamie or Eve, I don't know who said, we're from Pflugerville. And he looked at us like we like told him we were from Mars. He said, where the hell is that? And we were like, it's right outside of Austin. And he's like, all right, if you say so. And mm. he didn't even know where Pflugerville was, man. Here we thought we were like hot stuff coming out of high school, all district, you know, it's like and then we quickly realized how small Flugerville on the map was. Yeah. yeah. Like the college coaches that are recruiting out there didn't know where Flugerville was. So I was like, "Okay." I was like, "Well, this is going to be an uphill battle." And uh I left him the tape. He said he was going to call us and uh I didn't hear back from him for a couple of days. So, what do I do? I start calling him. I start calling him. I start calling him. I start calling him until I got a hold of him and uh He basically said, uh, look, I looked at your tapes. He said, our athletes are way better than what I saw on tape. And, um, you know, he told me specifically, he said, I saw that you played quarterback that one game and you played defense for the rest of the year. So you might have a chance. And that's all he had to say. He didn't say I was going to make it. He didn't say he was going to give me a scholarship. He didn't say he said, you might have a chance and then come walk on and, and we'll see how it goes. That was it. That's the chance that I needed to basically get in and play college football. And I told my mom and dad, I said, look, I went to this place called Navarro. I used to call it Navarro. Mm. And, uh, and I said, I'm going to go play football there. And my mom was like, where? Why? Like, no. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this, is where, this is where we're going. Like, this is what's happening. So in such a quick turnaround, we just I threw my stuff in the little Celica. I registered for the school mm. and, uh, I, and I went up there. and that. You want to talk about a transition in life. That was another massive transition, too.
0: Mm. All right, man. So you're you're bringing us along this journey here. And, uh, you know, it's been full of transitions and lessons, right, building you up to this point. So, you, yeah, here you are, junior college, playing football. Um, I'm assuming, I'm going to assume mm-hmm. that some more life experiences happen that kind of leads to where we are today. But yeah. so what is... This football experience, uh, it was a journey through, I think you ended up at another college mm-hmm. uh, through the process. So let's, let's go. Talk about it.
1: Well, the
0: reason the, the the football
1: journey is so important, because it's kind of like the parody of life for me. Mm. It's like everything that we did in athletics and in college through the, what, what I've learned is what I'm using right now in my personal life and my business life. So when I got there, again, I, I thought to myself that you're a good enough athlete to play college. And I showed up for the first day when all the players showed up. And I could, I'm going to tell you something. I had never seen so many massive human beings in one room. I felt like an ant in a room full of elephants. Our left tackle was 6'6, 360. And he was almost as fast as I was in the 40. That just, yeah, yeah. that's scary. Yeah. And I remember I, I looked at Jamie. The first day, and I was like, "Bro, this is. Are we out of? Are, are are? Did we like? Did we do something like wrong here? Like, should we not have come here? Like, this is like, th- these dudes are massive. They were fast. They looked aggressive. They look. So guess what happens? First day of practice. We put pads on. We go out there. It's even scarier. Everybody leaving looks bigger. Right. Everybody's trying to measure each other up, and they're goofing around and playing around. And we break up into our and into our um into our groups and um, into our position groups. And I remember after the first two, three, it was tough. It was Texas heat. It was three a days. It wasn't two a days. You had to practice in the morning. You had to practice in the afternoon. Then you went back in the evening. I remember after the second day, we started with a hundred players on the football team. I remember after the second day, I was hearing cars like leaving the parking lot at 12 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning. Like I was trying to figure out what was going on why why, why is nobody why, why, why aren't they sleeping? why aren't they resting? People were leaving, man. people were quitting left and right. Mm. this is your like amazing athletes because in junior colleges amazing athletes that didn't make their grades for me, it was the other way around is I wasn't a good enough athlete trying to develop my body and my skill so I can continue to play on right so it was a different story for me right so I'm like. Where, where is everybody going? So I remember the second day we showed up to practice. From 100, we had gone down to 65 players. 35 were gone. They didn't even say bye. They said nothing. They just packed their stuff up and went back home. Mm. I remember after the second week, there was only 50 players. And after that, that's when you knew who was going to make it on the team and who wasn't. And long story short, I made the team. but Of course i didn't play as much there just because the talent level was just ridiculous you know i played a lot of special teams i contributed a lot um that way but it was it was my junior year when everything kind of flourished when a coach from a small school in kansas kansas westland university came to navarro and he had a good relationship with that head coach and um and he was looking for players. He was looking for players at the Division II and NAIA level. And, um, and my coach introduced me to him. And the thing, that, the thing that allowed me to make the team, the thing that allowed me to be able to continue football was not skill alone. It was the fact that I was just going to outwork everybody. I remember at Pflugerville High School, when I was developing my body and getting into the weight room and getting very serious, like I, I made a deal with the janitor. I asked him to make me a spare key to the to the weight room. And I used to go in there on Saturdays and Sundays. And I even got caught by by the head coach one time on a Sunday. And he asked me, what the hell are you doing here? I was like, coach, I'm just lifting weights. So the, the door was open and he goes, OK, lock it on the way out. He didn't even say anything. He just because he knew he knew I was lying, mm-hmm. but he liked the fact that I was in there working hard on a Sunday when everybody yeah. else was doing something else. Yeah. So. If you had more skills than me, or if you have more skills than me, my ammo was that I was just going to outwork you until you got so tired to where you couldn't do it anymore. And then I was going to take over. And that's exactly what happened. So, and then when I went to, I got, the story of me going to Kansas Westland is is another story. I had a 2.85 GPA and the coach said, listen, we're a school that we don't give full scholarships. We're going to give you like a half scholarship. But if you can get your grade up to a 3.0, you can get an academic scholarship on top of that. Because my parents weren't going to be able to afford $19,000 a year for me right. to go to Kansas. Mm-hmm. So here I was, and, and I went to the counselor, and she said, look, you have to get four A's and one B.
2: And my classes were like anatomy, chemistry. Um,
1: it was like college algebra. It, was, it wasn't like your you know, PE classes, like it was stuff you had to really like work hard at. And I was like, oh my God. And that's when I really understood what it meant to work hard to get something you really, really, really wanted because mm-hmm. I had to get that academic scholarship. And, um, and I took those classes and I made those grades. I made it happen. While everybody was partying on Saturdays and Sundays, I was making note cards, I was making Um, I was making spreadsheets, I was doing extra, uh, extra projects so I can get that. That's how I made it. That's how I got to go to Kansas. Mm. And then when I went to Kansas Wesleyan, that was another culture shock. Because here you are going from Texas to Kansas, which is a completely different state. Right? And the school was even smaller than Navarra. Mm. And it was um, but I did get an opportunity to go there, and by that time I had gone from like from when I started in Navarro, I was 180 pounds, and now it was 200 pounds. So I had gained 20 pounds. I was running a 4:440. My, you know, my my squat and my bench were high. I was very strong, right? And and the story of my first day at Kansas Westland. For all my buddies that are listening to this that remember this, I remember we went into the weight room and they were testing maxes. And I had worked my ass off that summer. I had worked so hard, and um, I remember they were doing hand clean, they were doing power cleans or hand cleans. And I remember the coach said, "Hey, Sasani, you're gonna get in here and 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 max out." And I didn't, I didn't mean to sound like an asshole. I just basically looked at him. I said, "I'm just waiting for y'all to go up on weights," mm-hmm. because they weren't lifting that much weight, and to me, that wasn't that much weight, right? So, and he's like, Oh, okay. So, you think you're just stronger than everybody else in this? And go, Why don't you come and prove it? So, got under that 225 and I, I, I hand cleaned it 10 times and I put it down. And immediately, everyone accused me of using steroids. <laughs> that was the funniest thing to me. Like, again, I didn't take it personally because I knew what I did that summer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, it's funny how when someone outworks you, you immediately, can judge them or say, "Hey, he's 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 got to be cheating in order to get to that point." So I ended up being the I ended up being pound per pound strongest player on the team, and come to find out, I was the only one that wasn't using steroids. That, that was the funniest thing because mm. <laughs> mm. all the people that were they were accusing me of using steroids, they were the ones actually on it. That's, <laughs> That's crazy. So it was good, and it was. The, the two seasons I was there, it was amazing. Um, I was on an academic scholarship, so I had to maintain my grades. So I had to work very hard in my grades as well too. Sure. Um, I, I was able to be on the field finally, after working so hard through you know, the time I graduated mm-hmm. from high school to sitting on the bench at Navarro and not being able to play. And um, I, I was able to uh, receive all conference honors both years that I was there as a free safety. Uh, we took a team that was two and seven to seven and three. And then the following year, they won the championship. So we were definitely the stepping stones for the program to really turning around. Awesome. And uh, it was good. I made lifelong friends. And that's where it kind of, and again, that had to come to an end too. Right. And that was a really big transition. And I remember the day that it came to an end was a very special day for me. It was a time to me, for me to, it was almost like payback for my mom and my dad. My graduation day ended up on Mother's Day, Mm. and it was so beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful, and it was like the biggest thank you I could give my mom because of everything that she had sacrificed, my dad had sacrificed, our whole family had sacrificed in order to put me in a position to succeed, and I was was able to prove to them that at this stage of my life, at this age, I was able to deliver on that promise that you were going to come over here you were going to create a better life, and I took advantage of it. Mm. So I was able to get my degree in four years in uh, in uh, business communication with emphasis on electronic media. And I was going to go become like a go work at a TV station or a newspaper. And it's funny that I married a uh, news uh, reporter, news anchor. Sure. So it's kind of funny that how that all happened. But I remember I had my first taste of a job, and I knew that that wasn't for me. Like I had an internship, and I went in. And I was clocking in and clocking out and dealing with all the politics and dealing with all the nonsense that goes with, you know, what corporate world is all about. And I just knew for me, with my personality, I could not sit behind a desk and I could not do eight hour shifts or eight hour days and take a lunch break. And, you know, that it might be for other people, but it just wasn't for me. Right. And that's where kind of the story of Bodies by Design comes into play.
0: Mm, all right, so. So, all right, so that's the next big transition to talk about that. So you, first of all, had experience feeling how you could push your own body to the limits, right? Starting in, you know, uh, first of all, playing sports when you're young, just kicking around. And then all of a sudden your body developing in high school and then becoming one of the strongest players on the team. And then you get to this point where you had this job. You decide that's not for me. I'm going to do something else. Right. So talk us through that. Well,
1: I was, we were driving back from Kansas back home. And, you know, this was definitely the end for me at Kansas. I was never going to return there again. Right. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad were asking me, like, what are you planning on doing? And I told them, look, this may not be the most popular thing that you're going to hear, but I'm not looking to go get a job and like put in resumes to go workplaces. Right. I said, I want to start my own thing. I want it to have something to do with health and fitness. Something. I don't, I don't know what it is. And when I got back, you know, I had just graduated. So I didn't have a place to live or anything. So I, I moved back in with my parents for the first year. And, um, and I got started with, uh, I ran into our old uh, high school football trainer, Mark England and uh, Kim Ann England. And they basically introduced me to Advocare and Advocare is a supplement company. So I started using Advocare, distributing Advocare. And through that, I was able to find this program called the TAC program. It was the athlete's course. And this program basically allowed me to go into high schools and train their athletes during the summertime to get them ready for the season. And come to find out, Pflugerville High School had a TAC program. So I went to Flugerville High School and we ran the TAC program. And I remember my first workout was with almost 200 kids, three coaches, three whistles, 100 outside, 100 inside the weight room. It was, it, it was, it was mayhem. Mm-hmm. So, but it was an amazing experience and I got a high off of it. And I said, you know what? This is exactly what I wanna do. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. So I started training athletes, I started training doing different things outside. And one time, one day when I was delivering AdvoCare products to, some, to one of my clients that I was, one of my athletes at a Gold's gym, I walk in, and it's the one that was over there in Round Rock. And I looked down, and there's Donovan Owens doing leg press. Mm. He's got that thing loaded up, pushing it back and forth. And I was like, is that Donovan Owens? So I went down there, and we hadn't, we hadn't seen each other since 1996. Yeah. So uh, we definitely had lost touch, but I was so excited to see you. I remember that big, long hug that we gave each other, and we were trying to, like, catch up. And you were telling me about you had your two daughters. and. Where you were working, and we just started, we, we, we rekindled our friendship, yeah. basically. And I remember telling you about Advocare. I remember I even got you on some products and uh, how much you liked it. And it's like we started kind of talking about nutrition, talking about supplements, talking about that. And then out of nowhere, I remember you calling me and saying, Hey, man, my mom just saw an ad in the paper in Pflugerville that, that there's a gym, they're looking for trainers that they don't, that with no experience. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's, like, that's exactly what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So I remember you you going over there and you met Nanette. And um, you said, yeah, I met this British lady. And uh, she was a former bodybuilder. And and uh, and they're building this new gym, um, by the way, in the same exact location that we are right now, which is that's even a, that's even yeah. a crazier story. Um, and. Um, Rick was the guy that was opening up the gym, and I remember they didn't have anything they didn't have they just had walls there was no equipment they were just pre selling memberships basically right and you're like man she she hired me on the spot and she said i was going to I was going to be a trainer there and I was like are they are they hiring for more trainers and you're like, "I don't know, so I showed up the next day. I still remember what I was wearing. I was wearing my jeans, and I was wearing my gap uh striped shirt, the little sleeve shirt that this blue um navy blue with some with some red stripes going through it. Mm-hmm. I had my resume in hand and I went and talked to Nanette and she said, oh, I'm so sorry. We already have like five trainers in in, in spot. And she said, you know, if anything comes open, I'll let you know. And I was really disappointed. I was like, no, I was like, that's not going down like that. So I showed up the next day again and she's like, hey, what are you doing here? And I'm like, look, I know you say you didn't need anybody. And I can see that you guys need a lot of help because there's nothing in here. There's a lot of cleanup. You got to clean these windows. You got to do this, do this. I said, I'm just going to help out. I just want to help out my buddy, right? Just be here. Just hang out just because I don't have anything to do during the day. And she's like, okay, so you can help out. So I started helping out. I started brooming. I started cleaning. I started doing this. I wasn't even on the team. Okay. Again, the story of my life, right? Like when people told me no, I I took that no and turned it into a yes. Right. And what happened at that time was, I remember you were working at Neil's Unfinished Furniture you had two young daughters in Kiera and Ariana mm-hmm. and you were working during the day. And then you were trying to come back to the gym in the evening to do like the gym thing. And I remember we had this conversation to where you told me, you're like, man, I just can't do this. I got to make, I got to focus on, um, you know, my job in the morning. And I think you made that transition to Walmart around that time too, didn't you?
0: Yeah, it was, it was around that time. Yeah. yeah. To
1: where you were getting a manager job at Walmart and, um, and, and you're like, I can't do this. And, I literally just slipped into your spot as a trainer in that, in that gym. And, uh, and that's literally how we got started. So I was not an, I was, I was, I was a trainer under the gym umbrella. And I remember after a while, the gym had opened up the owner basically decided that he wanted the trainers to be independent. He didn't want to basically have them as employees of the gym anymore, which benumbed to me, I didn't know what was actually happening. Mm. And I said, you know what? I think this is an opportunity for me to have my own business. So, and I I was right about that. And so I asked around, I'm like, so if he wants me to be an independent trainer, what does that mean? They said, that means you have to basically pay rent to the gym Mm. and you have your own business name, you file your own taxes. So I was really like thrusted into entrepreneurism by, by almost like accident because I was already doing Advocare. I was already selling Advocare. I was already doing all that. So I was. I had started the entrepreneur kind of path without kind of knowing I was doing it. But then this opportunity came about is like, I was like, okay, so I'll be a business inside of a business. And then it just clicked. I said, okay, so after I'm pay my rent, everything else I take is 100% mine. So the more clients I have, the more money that I make, the more lives that I touch. And that's literally how I got started. I would go up to people one by one. And I'm saying, say, hey, look, uh, I, this is how I picked up clients. And to this day, I still have some of these clients. I would say, listen, um, do you mind if I show you how to do that properly? And I would go up to the machine and I would show it to them and they would say, thank you so much. And I would just say, you're welcome. If you have any questions, let me know. And I would walk away. Two days later, they would come up to me and they, would say, they were like, hey, how much do you cost? How much do you cost to do, you know, what, what it costs to do training? Like, that's literally how I picked up my clients, but right. was just helping them out. and. When I picked the name out, I didn't even know what name to pick out. I was at the Travis County office, and I, I, I called one of my clients. I'm like, I'm so confused. I wanted to do fitness by design, but that was already taken. And she's like, well, why don't you go with bodies by design? I'm like, let me see if that's available. And it was available, and that's how literally we came up with it. So it wasn't like this elaborate scheme plan right. that this was going to happen. And uh, again, we were there for five years. We were there for seven years, and then the gym owner decided he didn't want to he didn't want to have the gym anymore. He wanted to sell the gym to me, but I didn't want, I didn't want to buy a gym that was membership based like that. And uh, Nanette and I decided to basically step out and she had already stepped out and I basically went over there and just joined her. And I said, hey, let's turn this small studio that you have, which was only about 2000 square feet total of mm-hmm. workspace. I said, into a personal training studio. I'll bring my clients over, you bring your clients over and we'll start j- training people the way we really want to train them. Because you're a little handcuffed when you're inside of a gym. You, you, you got to do what they tell you to do. Right. And, uh, and by that time, I had already had about, you know, 10 years of experience, which was, you know, extensive at the time because you don't see many trainers that have 10 years, 15 years, 20 years of experience. So Nanina and I just kind of took a leap of faith and we went over there and um, the gym, the big gym closed down and we had our own little studio. And after three years of being in the studio, we were like busting at the seams. And the the first location where the gym was that I started at, Gold's Gym, G-O-A-L-S, shout out to everybody that bought memberships there and worked out there, that place was open again. So we went back to the original spot in 2013. And I remember that's when you merged your fitness business with ours as well and came on board with us. And since 2013 up until today, we're at Bodies by Design and. All of us, it's kind of like we all, me, you, and Annette, we all got started back in 2001. But then you had to go away. I slipped into your spot. And then somehow, someway, you found your way back 12 years later. And we rejoined together again as a team. And it's just been such a beautiful journey that, um, that I don't think a lot of people at Bodies by Design know yeah. that, that's, that it took so much hard work. And you know the craziest part about starting the studio was in 2010 was at the height of the biggest recession in the United States. It started in 2008 and it went all the way until like 2013, 2014, where the stock market was just falling and falling and falling. Mm. And but we were busier than ever. We were busier than ever, and we, we we still are. And I think that's a attribute to knowing how to take care of your clients, having a superior product, and also for like me, you, and Annette, they all know that we all love each other, and they all know that it's a happy house from the top down, right. and they know that we're always looking out for each other, taking care of each other, and as we grow and as we expand this business, it's literally a reflection, from, from, from my perspective, it's a reflection of all the stuff that I've gone through, Right. because it's not popular. It's not popular to stay at the same job for 18 years. but. I opened my, I closed my eyes and I opened my eyes and I'm going on my 18th year of personal training. Mm. And some of the clients that we've had back in 2002 are still with us. Right. To this right. day.
0: Man. So there it is. That's the the powerful story. You know, it, it was pretty neat to be pulled along that journey from your childhood all the way to this point. And I hope everybody listening really can understand, you know, from When your adulthood started for you after college, right? Yeah, you making this choice and understanding you wanted to take all these skills that you've learned through these some hard times and some great times, put them together and start to change other people's lives. That's turned into Bodies by Design. So, if you could sum it all up and leave people with uh, just a powerful lesson to take away from the message today, what would you distill it down into?
1: Well, I would. I, I would think there's three parts to it, right? watching my mom and dad make some very hard choices with a young family was very inspirational to me and it's still inspirational to me t- inspirational to me today that's why i take what i do so seriously i love my life every day and i take that very seriously i take my relationships very seriously and because you know i don't like the word sacrifice because when when you say sacrifice there's some resentment that be- that's behind it. I like to think that my mom and dad made very, very tough choices. And they chose discomfort for themselves in order to create comfort for us. And that is my most and massive fuel that I walk around with every single day. Because if I waste one day, I wasted their, their, their hard work their dedication, what they put into us being here, mm. right? So again, that's why I'm always. That's why I'm, I'm. That's why I'm happy always. You're gonna. You're always gonna see a smile on my face, even when I'm having a bad day. Like there's nothing that can happen that's gonna be too big, right? Right. Because there's a solution for everything, and that resonated into me playing sports, and from football. Football really taught me how to physically work hard and be mentally tough to be able to take abuse whether it was verbal whether it was through um physical abuse of like smashing into each other being in the weight room you know being screamed at by your coaches but i realized they were just trying to make us better right i didn't take it for the screams that they were i didn't take it for the for the cuss words that they i didn't take it for that they were just trying to make us better as a team that's what i saw Mm. so and then pulling that into bodies by design is that's why, again, no one will outwork us. That's why we always show up on time. That's why we have a superior product. That's why we take care of our people the way that we take care of them. That's why we love on people the way that we take care of that, 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 we, that we love on them. Why because my my the journey of since when I was born all the way until right now, that's what it's taught me. It's taught me that it's about hard work. It's taught me that it's taught me that it's about making unpopular decisions. It's taught me that it's about making choices that you may not be happy with at the moment, but you're doing it for the good of the future. And it's also taught me to create relationships that actually mean something instead of having fake relationships, Mm. right? So, and I think that's what sums up. If anybody, if you ask anybody that works out at Bodies by Design, If you ask them, that, it would say, what's the one thing you can tell? What's the one or two things that you can say about that place
2: that you go to? They care about me. And they love me. And you can't ask for more than that. Mm.
0: There it is, man. That's that's, uh, powerful lessons, powerful journey, and... Here we are today in a very powerful situation with a community that's awesome. And so uh, hopefully people will feel more connected to why Bodies by Design is the way it is. And so I want to give my one takeaway uh, when I listen to your story. What it lets me know is that we always have the power of choice. Mm-hmm. And if we it, actually our life is a combination of all the choices we've made and the very next choice can change our path. And uh, I think that you did a lot of that along the way, made choices that created a path for you to be right here where you are. So, uh, man, I think it's been a powerful episode. Yeah, appreciate you sharing and uh, definitely look forward to doing more of these.
1: Yeah. And I think the upcoming episodes that we have, they're going to be absolute fire because we're going to really take our lessons that we've had in life and the things that we've had to deal with in the last 18 years inside the gym with real life situations and questions and problems and issues that we've had and bring them to real life and really talk about it because there's always you're never going through a problem by yourself right right? so there's always somebody else that can benefit from listening to that yeah so we're really excited to bring that and uh i really appreciate you guys listening to my story and um, because a lot of people knew parts of it
2: sure not all of it sure
0: all right well Appreciate you sharing, being so open. And uh, look, what we appreciate is your time, your attention, and wherever you're listening to this podcast, just like it, share it. Uh, let's spread the word and reach one more life. So we appreciate y'all being here and we will see you on the next episode. Peace. For more from Bodies by Design, please head over to vbdforlife.com. If this show was valuable to you, please share it out. There's someone that needs this message right now. Also, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. When you do this, it helps us climb the iTunes charts, reach more people, and impact the next life. We appreciate you tuning in, and we're committed to keep bringing you more great content that, when applied, has the power to change your life.